Welcome to Clover Club, a podcast about curious conversations and stories intended to make you laugh and learn. I'm your host, Erica, and today I have a solo episode for you. Today is all about the story of my ayahuasca retreat. Before we get started, there's one important thing that I've got to get out of the way, and that is that I am not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist. I'm just a human being sharing my experience with the decision that I made, so please take all of this with a grain of salt. It's just my experience. That said, if you know me, you know I'm a bit obsessive (laughs) when I decide that I'm going to do something, so I put a lot of research and a lot of thought behind the decision to do this, so if any of you listening are considering doing it, Hopefully, I can help, you know, add a little clarity to your thought process. And if this is something which I assume the majority of you listening are like, I would never fucking do that. I just want to hear a cool story. I also got you. So just know I'm not suggesting that you do this. I'm just sharing my story. Well, I think the best place for us to start is with what ayahuasca is. So I'm reading from a website here. I'm going to link this in my show notes also. But ayahuasca is a plant-based brew or drink that can result in a mind-altering experience. It has been used in spiritual and medicinal rituals for thousands of years by native peoples in South America. As more people around the world have discovered it, retreats and ceremonies involving ayahuasca have become more and more common. Ayahuasca is a boiled mixture of various plants that create a red or brown liquid. Drinking the brew can alter all of one's senses. It can change a person's reality, causing dramatic changes in mood, thought, and emotions. It is traditionally used in native rituals for healing and spiritual exploration. The active ingredient in ayahuasca is DMT, a naturally occurring compound found in certain plants and animals. Some healers believe that DMT in this substance activates the DMT that may naturally occur in human bodies and causes its effects. Ayahuasca is traditionally taken in a special ceremony run by a shaman who guides participants through their journey. This ceremony usually takes place on a retreat. This can take many different forms. Many adapt traditional native practices while others abandon them altogether. A retreat may consist of different rituals and prayers prior to the ayahuasca ceremony, where participants will consume a few servings of the brew. These ceremonies may happen multiple times in a single retreat. Its effects can cause hallucinations, strong emotional reactions, and sometimes epiphanies or a breakthrough in a way that a person thinks about their situation. Effects last four to six hours and can include stomach upset, vomiting, and diarrhea, a sense of peace, joy, and connection, memories of past trauma, sometimes with new insights. So that is the gist of what ayahuasca is. And you're probably wondering, why would you take it? So if you're somebody who's never explored psychedelics, this may be harder to verbalize to you, but I enjoy exploring the boundaries of my consciousness. So I'm not a stranger to taking substances that alter my mindset. That said, it's never really been something that I do recreationally. It's always been with an intention and a purpose, but I do find things like psilocybin, for example, are really useful tools for literally rewiring your neurochemistry and helping you view things differently and just work through issues or blockages. It's just a really, really good tool. 
Ayahuasca is something that's always been really intriguing to me, but I remember the first time I heard about it, I was like, wow, that sounds so cool. No fucking way would I ever do that. And then over years and years and years of kind of exploring this stuff a little bit more on my own and reading about it and watching documentaries and just hearing about other people's experiences, it started to become more and more something that I was like, you know, I think at some point in my life, I could see myself doing this. So over the last couple of years, certainly COVID did not help. I just, you know, my life on paper was and is fabulous. And I just felt like something was missing. And I have been extremely dedicated to therapy, to a personal meditation practice. Like I did all of the things that the internet tells you you're supposed to do if you're sad and nothing was working. Like I just felt like I had kind of pushed the limits of the type of healing that I could do on my own without something big. And so it just kind of came into this clear view that like, I I just felt it. I was like, you're ready to do this. And uh, I wasn't scared. I was excited. And that, that, that shift I think was really important to me. And that was my clue that I was like, all right, let's, let's really explore what it would look like to go on one of these retreats and to do ayahuasca. I think that I probably could have stayed on that more traditional path with therapy and mindfulness and drinking green juice and writing in my journal and blah, blah, blah. But I just knew that there was something, I don't, it's so hard to articulate, but it's kind of like I was carrying around this backpack that had a lot of rocks in it. And with every therapy session and, and, and healthy choice that I made for myself, the, I was removing the rocks from this backpack, but there was still this heavy rock in it that I just couldn't get out. And I just, I wanted, I wanted it to, I was ready. And so that was kind of my, my mindset moving into it. I had tried, I'd been on antidepressants off and on a couple times throughout my adult life, which I, I did not find to be a good fit. I felt they dulled what was good about me and didn't necessarily help with what was bad. And I am not making a suggestion that anybody should or should not use pharmaceuticals to help with their mental states. I know that they're extremely useful, important to a lot of people. Just for me personally, I wasn't getting what I needed to get out of it. And so I hadn't been on an antidepressant in a while and you can't be on one. So if you're on any SSRIs, you have to discontinue the use of them pretty far in advance prior to taking ayahuasca because you just you don't want to take anything that impacts serotonin if you're going to take ayahuasca because you'll run the potential risk of getting serotonin syndrome. So really, I just thought that ayahuasca sounded like amazing opportunity for me to do a lot of heavy lifting in one retreat. Okay, so I'm going to break down this whole experience into some chapters. So we'll start with chapter one, the choice. So deciding why you want to take it and just that you're ready to take it. That is the most important step of all of this. And like I just explained, I just had been dealing with some depression and just a heaviness and blockages that I was not capable of working through on my own. And I just knew that I could be happier and clearer in my life. And I really gravitated towards a more natural solution. So that was my choice. I already had a really strong meditation practice and a breathwork practice, which I found 
incredibly helpful during the retreat. And I'll mention why a little bit later. But if you decide that you want to do ayahuasca, I can't recommend enough that you start meditating and you start working on your breath because those two things are extremely important while you're on ayahuasca to help you through it. But also I found that my meditation practice really benefited after the ayahuasca retreat because I was able to visualize things a lot more. So the first step is just making the choice of, hey, I want to do ayahuasca. All right. Chapter two, the selection, where to do it and why. So here's the thing. This has gotten fairly popular. I'm sure you've all heard of celebrities are being more open about doing it and people are less timid about sharing their stories. But with the spread of popularity of ayahuasca, there's of course the introduction of people who are trying to profit off of it. So to me, it was not an option to do it in a location that it was not legal in. And not only that it wasn't legal in, but somewhere that I knew I would be taking place in a ritual and a ceremony with somebody who knew what the fuck they were doing, honestly. So the only countries that it's legal in, according to Wikipedia, are Brazil, Costa Rica, Peru, Ecuador, and Mexico. So for me, when I was making my decision, I had already been to Costa Rica, Peru, and Mexico. So that left Brazil and Ecuador. I'd heard great things about Ecuador, and then Brazil had been having some geopolitical unrest. And so that made it really easy for me to, to focus in on Ecuador. And from there, I just literally Googled ayahuasca retreats in Ecuador. And a lot of them were quickly a no. Anything that looked too corporate or commercialized, I immediately checked off the list. Anything that was run by Americans or non-Indigenous people, immediately off of the list. And it took a while. And there were several where I was like, ooh, this could be be good. But then I would pour over the reviews. And that really helped narrow things down as well. Something that you want to be mindful of is... If you're going to do this, this needs to be as a plant medicine ritual, not recreationally, okay? And so for me, thinking about that, I really needed to show up and be super present. And uh, for me, the thought of doing it in a large group was a really big turnoff. So some of these places are doing over 100 people a night in a ceremony. And that's just, I mean to me, completely out of alignment with the whole point of doing it. And so anything that was in large groups, I also just was like, nope, that's not it. So yeah, so I wanted to take it somewhere where I felt like there was a deep respect for the plant medicine and uh, that it was really about the therapeutic benefits and not just a, a simple business transaction, right? I also, I'm seeing more and more of this, just a little tangent, but I'm super aware of the privilege of being a white girl who can afford to go to Ecuador and take an ayahuasca retreat. And I realize that not everybody can do that. I'm super fortunate that I was able to, you know, save up and make this happen. But that being said, I do just want to point out that if you're doing this not in an illegal country, that means you're drinking smuggled ayahuasca. And energetically, you don't want to be taking any 
massive hallucinogenic that you don't know the source of. You want to be drinking with a shaman and under the guise of people who are very well versed in the medicine. And there were just a lot of retreats, air quotes, retreats that popped up that just uh, makes me really uncomfortable that they're even allowed to operate, honestly. So do your due diligence, figure out, you know, what works for you and what resonates with you. But for me, I, I took it really, really seriously that I didn't want to take any chances on just the quality of the experience and the people that I was going to be around. So I landed on a retreat center in Olan, Ecuador, which is on the Pacific coast of Ecuador. And so I booked it. And this was in the fall of 2022 that I booked it. And the retreat was January 2023. So almost exactly a year ago, which is why I'm doing this podcast now. So I had made the selection, I had made the choice, and now we get into chapter three, the prep. So this is no fucking joke. To do this the right way, you really have to be willing to put a lot on the table and make a lot of sacrifices going into it to prepare your mind and to prepare prepare your body to get the most out of the experience. And it was really important to me that if I was going to take this time off of work and spend this money and, and really do this, I wanted it to be, I I wanted the best experience that I possibly could have. And I was taking no chances on that. So there's something called the dieta. I think I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a diet that you do prior to taking this type of plant medicine. So every retreat center kind of has slightly different guidelines and the different cultures have, uh, you'll, you'll notice some, some variations depending on if you're doing it in Mexico or Brazil or Peru or whatever. So this is just a general guideline, but if you decide to do this, your retreat center may have its own specific list. But for me, it was, so foods to minimize, salt, fried or fatty foods, peanuts, dairy, overripe fruits and vegetables, processed foods, and sugar and sweets, all of my favorite things, foods to avoid completely, foods that contain tryptophan or tyramine or other ingredients that don't work well in conjunction with ayahuasca, such as pork, smoked, fermented, or pickled foods, miso, vinegar, sauerkraut, yeast, caffeine, artificial sweeteners, spicy foods, hot peppers, and aged cheese. Also, all things I really like. Foods that you can eat. Fresh organic vegetables and fruits wherever possible. Juices, but like natural, like you just used it, juices. Avocados, as long as they're not too ripe. Nuts. Lean meats and fish that are not cured. So chicken and fish and like lean proteins, okay. Grains such as quinoa and rice. Beans such as lentils, kidney, and others. You can drink coconut water, herbal teas, and lots and lots and lots of water. And dairy replacements, such as almond milk or rice milk. Activities to avoid. Any type of sexual contact, including masturbation. Watching or reading about violence or trauma. Use the opportunity of this diet to reduce activities where you have any addictive patterns. Use of alcohol or illicit drugs, over-the-counter or prescription medications, not completely necessary. So basically, you are just totally clearing your body and your mind, and you don't want anything, 
you know, you don't want to watch a horror movie the week before you go on this retreat and then take the strongest hallucinogenic on the planet and then have scenes from a scary movie pop up. I've also read minimize social media and news. So for me, I went on a super strict diet. I deleted Instagram from my phone, didn't watch the news. I was in monk mode. So I really, I mean, you can ask my friends, I was so boring, but I would just go to work, come home and read, write, meditate, eat the most boring food. And let me tell you what, fuck, it was hard. But every single day I I was like, okay, you're one day closer to this retreat. Uh, you're doing the right thing. Just stick with it. There's a, there's a reason that you're doing this. And uh, ultimately it was really, really important to me just to show myself that I had the discipline and that I could do it. So that was kind of a nice unexpected benefit was I just... I, I lack self-control a lot. I'm very indulgent and I absolutely could not indulge in anything that I enjoyed for those two weeks leading up to it. And that was accidentally a, a nice and beneficial part of the process. So you're also going to get a big packing list, of course, from whatever retreat center that you go to. For me, it was all about really comfortable clothes, a journal, a pen, a book, a water bottle, a blanket, any little thing that reminds you of something sweet or comforting. And I also brought an eye pillow. And uh, the color that you wear when you do ayahuasca is also important because energy plays such a big role in this. And so they suggest that when you when you do ayahuasca, you want to wear white or very light colors. It's also preferred that you wear natural fabrics such as cotton and linen. So every little choice you make leading up to your retreat will affect the outcome of your experience once you drink the ayahuasca. All right, chapter four, the retreat. The first interesting choice that I had to make was I'm a Delta girl because Atlanta is my home city. And to get from Atlanta to Guayaquil was going to take twice as long and cost twice as much than if I had flown United. So I made the executive decision to get over myself and to fly to Ecuador on United instead of on Delta. So one benefit of this is I was connecting through Miami and Miami has a really nice Centurion lounge. So I was like, okay, I can go to this lounge. But I realized as I was like packing to go, I can't eat or drink anything in this lounge. I can't eat or drink anything in an airport. So I need to bring my own everything. So I made myself two tuna sandwiches with vegan mayo on like that healthy bread that tastes like cardboard and just like a giant bag of trail mix. And I flew from Atlanta to Miami. I went to the lounge and I had a significant layover. So I was sitting there reading a book, eating my like a homemade tuna sandwich, looking like I was headed to the jungle. And everyone was staring at me like, who is this fucking bitch? Who brings their own tuna sandwich to the lounge? And in hindsight, I hear you, but it was that or I would starve. And we know I wasn't going to do that. But I was just like, wow, this is just, (laughs) I'm already being tried because this is embarrassing. And there's like all these like hot business guys. And I'm just like, don't mind me. So I fly to Guayaquil and I had arranged with my retreat center, which is a three hour drive from Guayaquil. There's a hotel that they suggest you stay at. And then they provide the transfer from the hotel to the retreat location. So I basically, I got in late. I took a cab to my hotel, settled in. I had my second tuna sandwich and a handful of nuts and I went to bed. So it was dark when I had arrived. When I woke up, I looked out the window and there was just this hill of beautiful, colorful, 
little houses. And I just, if you, I love South America and it was just, it was really pretty. It was just a very South American good morning. And so I packed myself up and I went downstairs and that is where I met the first two people from my retreat. So I walked up to the car transfer and I see these two people who I immediately felt comfortable with. We were all wearing the same type of Birkenstocks. We all had the same Bang & Olufsen headphones and like our vibe and our accessories were like exactly the same. And so we introduced ourselves. They were a brother and sister pair from Belgium. You know, I'm from Atlanta. And so we get in the car and then we spend three hours together just getting to know each other and immediately hit it off. We're singing in the car and just... I was like, this is great. These people are so cool. We have so much in common. I am so excited. And one thing is, ideally, you should go to a retreat like this alone. If you're going to go with somebody, it needs to be somebody that you're extremely close with. And these two, this brother and sister pair, they were super, super close. So I thought it was really special and amazing that they were able to share that experience together. However, I think you, unless you have somebody like that, and I mean super close, uh, you really do want to do this alone. So we take our car ride, weaving down the coast of Ecuador, and we finally pull in to just the most beautiful retreat center. There's a big pool surrounded by little individual rooms and there's a back gate that takes you straight out to the Pacific Ocean. And immediately I just felt super relaxed and like, oh my God, all right, there's no going back now. You're in Ecuador. Let's fucking get it. I unpacked all of my things and I took a long walk on the beach. I put on sunscreen. However, you know, pretty close to the equator. It was hot as fuck. And I got a sunburn within the first couple minutes or couple hours, but whatever. I came back and uh, everybody was there for the retreat other than two people. So, so far it was me. It was this brother-sister combo from Belgium. They were in their early 20s. There was a woman from Switzerland who was in her mid-40s. There was a woman from, it was either New York or New Jersey, also I think in her early 40s. There was a guy from Miami. And then uh, the next day, two other people were coming. So after I got back from my walk, we had our lunch. I got to know everybody. We were all chit-chatting. And then we had a little sharing circle. And everybody just kind of introduced themselves, explained why they were there, what they were hoping to get out of the retreat. And it was really nice. And I realized immediately, I was like, oh, everyone's being very vulnerable and candid immediately. And that was good because, uh, you know, this is not a situation to hold back in. But one thing I did find was... I was the only person who was as strict as I was on the cleanse. One person was like, well, there was a cleanse I was supposed to do. And other people had, you know, various levels of discipline towards it. So I was definitely the strictest, which will come up in a little bit. (laughs) But after we had our sharing circle, we all went swimming and played some good mellow house music and just kind of hung out and, and got to know each other. And one thing I really liked about this retreat center I went to is in this group, there were only going to be eight people and there were multiple dogs and cats all around the house and that hung out on the property. 
and animals make everything better. And it was just really, really, I just immediately felt like comfortable and safe there. So the next day, we started our day with something called family constellations. So they gave us an itinerary and I saw family constellations and I was like, hmm, what the fuck is that? And I just thought it was like, I don't know, astrology or something. Um, Incorrect. So according to Google, the connection with ancestors is a central feature of the constellation process. The term family constellations was first used by Alfred Adler in a somewhat different context to refer to the phenomenon that each individual belongs to and is bonded in relationship to other members of his or her family. So basically, they brought in a shaman who was, wow, I mean, this lady was just so cool. Her energy, everything about her, the way she carried herself when she entered the room, I was just like, this is special. However, I didn't really, I didn't, again, I didn't know what family constellations were, so I didn't really have any expectations of what was about to happen. So essentially what happens is each person got to go and you choose people in the group to represent you and different family members. And I don't know, this is kind of hard to verbally explain, but you would choose somebody to be your mom, someone to be your dad, someone to be your siblings. And then you just kind of place them standing around the room, just kind of however feels right. So if there's tension between your parents, for example, you may put them on opposite sides with their backs facing each other. If you are super close with a sibling, you may place yourself standing right next to them. You know what I mean? And I think it, it was kind of important to just do what felt right and not overthink it. And you choose somebody to be yourself so that you can look onto your family constellation as opposed to being part of it. And essentially what it does is it gives you this really amazing visual of what generational trauma is. And that was something that I kind of, you know, gen trauma and generational trauma pop up in therapy and therapy talk all the time. And I will admit that there was a part of me prior to this experience that was always like, yeah, but like, my grandpa had a hard life and that's supposed to be my fucking problem now or whatever. But it really, really so much about that just clicked into place doing this exercise and having this visual. So I quickly was like, you know what? I need to take my like, hmm, what the fuck? And just like set it aside and just be open and just be totally present. You know, there's a reason that we are doing this therapy prior to our ayahuasca ceremony. And I do want to get the most out of it. So we were able to get through about half of the group on that first family constellation. And I, I was one of the ones that got to go, and I did get a lot out of it. I left, and I felt a lot of compassion towards certain family members and just family dynamics that I was probably a little more rigid towards prior to that. So the rest of the day, we just kind of relaxed. And then the next morning, we resumed the family constellations with the group of people who hadn't gotten to go yet. Now, I mentioned that there were two people who hadn't gotten there on the first day. I can't remember if they're like plane was delayed or what the issue was. But they got there the next morning, which was totally fine. But it was two business partners. And I think they were like in their, like around my age, like early 30s, mid 30s. So they got there and they, of course, it was their turn to go since they hadn't been there the day before. And so one of the guys, he had picked everyone to represent his family. But since he was new, he didn't know that he had to pick somebody to pick, his, pick himself. And so I was one of the last people and so kind of just by default, he chose me to play him. As soon as I stood up and I was positioned, I was overwhelmed with this 
darkness. And uh, I do consider myself to be uh, a very intuitive and empathetic person, but the experience I'm about to share, I had never had anything happen like this to me before. So again, uh, immediately I just felt this just dark sadness come over me and I was holding back tears. Even sharing the story now, I'm getting emotional just tapping back into that. Our shaman's name was Tati. So Tati, the way this works is she would kind of move people around and then ask the person whose family constellation it was like, does this feel better? So much of it is, is energetic. And, uh, so we were working through this guy's family structure and, uh, he shared that one of his uncles had passed away and she's like, oh, maybe that's it. And so she kind of rearranged us a little bit and asked us how it made us feel. And I was like, I still feel this just unbelievable sadness. And I felt like something was sitting on my left shoulder. And I don't usually get feelings like that. Like usually I, I, I know things, but I don't physically feel things touching me. That's <laughs> a huge deal. And it was kind of freaking me out. And I, I kept sharing with them like, oh, I just, I feel really sad, but I was holding back on sharing that detail. Cause I was like, this is fucking weird. And so she moved his family constellation around again. And he was like, oh, well actually I've got another uncle who passed away. Uh, maybe it's that. Da, 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 da. And so she moves us around again. And I am just uh, like, holding back tears. My eyes are filled with water. I have this intense pressure on my left shoulder to the point where I'm, I'm losing vision out of my left eye. It's so present. And Tati came over and she put her hand on my shoulder and she was like, are you feeling better? And I just burst. I, fuck. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to cry telling the story. Whoa. Um, <sighs> I burst into tears and I was like, I do not feel better. I was like, I'm very upset. I don't know why, but I was like, I, and then I just told her, I was like, I've got this, this, something is on my left shoulder. I can't shake it. I've never felt this before. I'm, this is very upsetting. This is very uncomfortable. Like, I do not know what's going on. Uh, and uh, I looked over at the person whose family constellation it was, and he was also looking a little upset. And Tati mentioned that she was like, the left side is the side of the mother. The right side is the side of the father. And she turned around and looked at him and she said, how's your mom? (laughs) And he started, his eyes welled up with tears and he shared with us that his mom had cancer. (laughs) I can't believe I'm like this emotional about this. I'm sorry. Um, why am I apologizing? I can just delete this. Um, and in that moment, I just, I mean, I've lost several people very close to me to cancer. It's a, that's a trigger for me for sure. And, um, I just felt everything that he was feeling as his stand-in in that family constellation. And in that moment, I was like, holy fuck, like, this is so real. And she made him come up there and she grabbed a, a big stone and she handed it to the person who was playing his mother. And, uh, she said, this is your mother's cancer. And then she had that person hand me, being him, 
that stone. And she was like, this is right now. She's like, you are, you're carrying the weight of your mother's cancer. And that is a choice. And uh, you can either set down the stone or, and she was like, do you want kids? And he was like, yeah. And uh, she was like, do you want to hand this stone down to your child and keep this sadness going? Or do you want to process this? And it was like, holy fuck. And it was just, I mean, everyone in the room was crying. You couldn't not, like it was just out of control. But it was also like, bro, we're up here, like, everyone's sad, everyone's sad. And he's like, well, I really can't think of why. And then it's like, we had to talk about his two uncles who had passed and, like, really pull out of him that his mother was sick. And it was just so fascinating. You know, I could see a lot of other modalities where there wouldn't be that consistent pushback or like, no, like we got to keep digging. There's something more here. There's something more here. So that that was just a fucking wild experience. And I am so glad that I was a part of it. And I really feel like it, it was no accident that I was the person who ended up standing in for him in his constellation. So I, that felt like such an honor. And then immediately I just felt this connection to him that, you know, maintained throughout the whole trip. It was wild. And you can't share all of your deep family shit with people and not feel close to them. So it was a really, really great just way for us to bond with each other prior to our actual ayahuasca ceremony. Okay, so next we were introduced to our first plant medicine, and it is called rapé. So rapé is a powdered tobacco, and Tati used it during our family constellation ceremony, but we didn't know really what it was or what she was doing, but she was sniffing this stuff and we're like, what's up with this? And she's like, do you want to try it? And so we all got a chance to do rapé. Now this is administered to you through a pipe and basically they start on your left side and then your right side and they blow this rapé into your nose and it's just powdered tobacco, but it's all natural, no additives, nothing gross. And they just shoot it up into your fucking skull. It is crazy. I was like the fourth or fifth to go and I'm watching, you know, these like strong dudes doing it first and like it, their eyes are watering. I mean, I, I was really scared. Like I'm a pussy at the end of the day. Like I, <laughs> I like to be in control. I like to know how things are going to feel, how I'm going to react. And I had so much anxiety. I almost chickened out, but my friend from Belgium, she's the only person whose name I'll use. Cause I know she'll be okay with it. But her name was Amelie. So my friend Amelie, we, we held each other's hands when we did our first rapés, and uh, I she really helped me through it. And I'll post pictures of that. I mean, it was uh, crazy. So it's when it hits you, and it hits you hard, it's this just burning sensation in your nose, in your brain, and they kind of, they blow it in and like tap your head to help because you just feel these like tingles of not pain, but it's just, it's very intense. It's hard to describe. But as soon as that initial physical reaction dissipates, you have this unbelievable clarity that comes upon you. It's kind of like taking a Xanax, but without any weird side effects. I just felt really, really, really crystal clear and bright. And so all of us tried it and all of us agreed like, holy shit, that is hardcore. 
we are so into this. <laughs> and I was not prepared. So uh, that would be something that we used continually throughout the rest of the retreat. And uh, it's pretty wild. The only weird side effect is like when you blow your nose afterwards, it's like this like brown, gross, like slime. So, okay. Then we get to our first full plant medicine ceremony. So that was later that night. And we were going to be drinking San Pedro in a Temezcal, which is a sweat lodge. So San Pedro is basically natural MDMA. It is from a cactus and it's turned into this juice basically from a San Pedro cactus. And you drink it and it's like taking natural ecstasy. So we all got ready to embark on our first like serious ceremony. And with all of these, we talk ahead of time and it's really important to have an intention when you go into something like this, because you, you just want to give your mind kind of guardrails and guidelines for the type of experience that you want to have and for what your expectations are to get out of it. Right? So we all piled into this very low on the ground sweat lodge and they were using thousand year old stones from a volcano in northern Ecuador and all day they've been heating these stones up over the fire and so we're just like in our swimsuits and we crawl into the Temezcal and spread out as much as we can but it was definitely tight quarters so we started by okay so tobacco is a sacred plant medicine we think of the bastardized version of tobacco like smoking cigarettes and dipping and stuff like that in the United States and you know and most of the world now. But traditionally, tobacco is a very, very spiritual plant medicine. And so I appreciated being able to connect. And I, I'm not a smoker, but um, not a tobacco smoker. But it was really, really cool to be able to connect with such just traditional kind of primal usage of things and just connecting with earth. And I think that may sound so cheesy if you haven't experienced it, but I mean, we all know that we, without great intention, the Western world lives extremely disconnected from mother earth and being able to connect and have this experience made a huge impact on me. And I felt was just so, so, so beneficial. But we started off, she had been soaking tobacco leaves in water in this bowl. And so I saw her, this is also Tati, the shaman. She took a handful of those tobacco leaves and she rang them out in the palm of her hand and she snorted the tobacco water. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, damn. And then she hands me the bowl. And I was like, wait, what? And she's like, just gestures. She spoke English, but Spanish was definitely her, her native language. So she just indicates that I'm supposed to do it too. And I kind of looked at the guy who was running the retreat and, and they, they, they're alongside with you the whole time. Like they're, they're doing it with you. And so everybody was connected. It was really cool, but I was like, all right, like this is what you're here to do. You're here to do things differently. So let's fucking go. So I take this thing of tobacco leaves and I wring them out in my hand and I snort them and woo, that shit was fun. I felt great. It was very similar to the rapé where you just get this like amazing, clear, just bright vibrancy. So we passed that bowl around and all of us snorted tobacco water and then they poured the San Pedro and we each drank a cup of that. It didn't taste bad at all. It was very earthy and green, but it wasn't gross. And so then we did the first round of our Temezcal. And let me tell you what, 
it was hot as fuck in there. And I've done saunas and I've done sweat lodges before, but this was a whole nother level. And they're singing and they're playing drums and the shaman is telling stories and there's they're taking you on this very intentional and well-structured guided journey. But at the same time, you're like, fuck, it's hot. And so I literally was like, I mean, I remember just kind of sneaking as far to the edge as I can and just like putting my hand on the cool grass for like the littlest bit of relief. But I, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I think I might die. And right when I would get to the point where I'm like, I think I have to quit, they would open up the flap and that round would be over. And so again, there's a theme here of pushing yourself and just being a, a discipline. Discipline is the, is the theme that I sorely needed. And so I was really proud of myself for pushing through. Now, of course, listen to your body and all of that, but I really, I was okay. We were all okay. So we did four rounds of this. And when they close that flap, I mean, it is pitch black in there. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. So all you do is just feel this immense heat. And so each round they're adding in more and more of these hot volcanic stones and they pour water over them and sprinkle herbs over them. And it creates the steam and it's fucking toasty. And each round it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, but you're also building your tolerance. And it's just, I mean, it was cool. It was cool, but it was intense as fuck. And each round you drink another cup of San Pedro. So each time you're just getting more and more, um, I'm not going to say fucked up because I think that's disrespectful to the intent here, but you're feeling it. You are feeling it. At some point halfway through the retreat leader, took out this Tupperware and he was like, does anybody want some mushrooms? And at that point, you're like, of course I want some mushrooms. And so he just passes around this Tupperware of psychedelic mushrooms and is like, just eat one. And so I'm like, oh, sure, why not? So I'm just crunching on a raw mushroom, no peanut butter to help. <laughs> I'm like, this is fucking nuts. As these four rounds go on, with each one, a story is being shared, a song is being shared. We're all singing together in a language we don't even really know, but they're just these traditional chants and songs that's very easy to pick up on the repetition of it. The veil was dropped. I mean, all of us, it was so primal, just dripping sweat. And, you know, when you take mescaline, the whole point of it is it's like your heart is just like exploded open. So we were all just feeling so warm and loving and connected. And a lot of the themes of the stories that she was sharing were about the balance of masculine and feminine, something that a lot of us live lives that are very out of whack. And there was this moment where Tati, she needed her water refilled and she handed the cup to the guy running the retreat. And uh, I don't know why, but in that moment, just the way that she handed him the water with the understanding that she needed it to be refilled. And he so obediently filled it for her. Like it was just, it was a beautiful, just little tiny moment of just a divine feminine energy. And uh, I knew that I would benefit from, from experiencing that and that the men would experience a benefit of seeing it displayed like that, right? For the last round, we were doing an offering to Mother Nature. And I don't even know how this happened, but I guess Amelie and I volunteered. And in a blink, we were standing in the kitchen. She's holding a plate of 
fruits. I'm holding a plate of meat. And uh, there's this beeping going off in the kitchen. And we're just like, what the fuck is this beep? What the fuck is this beep? And we're just, we can't stop giggling. And we were just having the best time. And so we walk back out towards the Temescal with our offering plates. And we looked up at the moon. It wasn't even a full moon. It was just like a, I don't know, a three quarters moon of like 24% moon. Like, I don't know. It was just the moon. And we were just like, wow, this is the most beautiful thing we have ever seen. Like I just, you cannot connect to nature in this way sober. It's just not possible. And it was such a fucking gift. And to be sharing it with people who really were so willing and vulnerable to just be there. So we brought it back and then we all passed around and just, you know, with our sweaty bare hands, just are eating these grapes and whatever. And it was just, it was so, it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. It was such a treat. There were lots of like funny little jokes that kind of happened and lots of giggling. There were several moments where Amelie and I got giggling so hard. We were kind of like, okay, this is too much, but we just couldn't help ourselves. Like we were just like overjoyed with love and and good energy. So this ceremony lasted all night long. And as the sun was coming up is when we ended the ceremony and we crawled out of the Temescal. I mean, all night, we looked disgusting, covered in mud and grass and sweat. And uh, I mean, it was intense, but we walked out that back gate and just straight into the Pacific Ocean. And to this day, I mean, oh my God, just retelling the story, I can feel the coolness of that water lapping against me when my body had been so warm for so long and just watching birds fishing and the sun rising. I mean, it was sensational. It was one of the most amazing moments of my life. And I just, I don't know the right words to use to even give it justice, but it was so special. So we had been rolling on San Pedro all night long. We take this nice swim. And then I remember, fuck, Amelie and I have signed up to go horseback riding later today. So we had been up all night long, but I was like, we are doing this. So a couple hours later, we had, we got a little bit of a nap in after our swim, but we go horseback riding and it was uh, so beautiful and so special. And it was really nice to just sit on a horse and let him guide me through the fucking jungle of Ecuador. It was just delightful. Would I have preferred to do it on a different day? Yes, but that is okay. And then we had another sharing circle. And this is something I really liked is there was constant check-in and communication and nobody was really on their own, right? And I remember being really, really impressed with the men in my group in their willingness to be vulnerable and open and to really articulate what they had experienced, how it made them feel, what their takeaways were. And I, I realized I, I didn't have a lot of that in my life. I guess a lot, and I, this isn't every man that, that I'm close with, but you know, there are a lot of people who are closed off and shut down and, and not connected. And it was, it was a really nice kind of reminder that there are men who can and are willing to access their emotions and to be honest and to face things. One of the girls had a really hard time during that. She was claustrophobic and hot and just, it was, it, it was really intense, but she really, she powered through it. She didn't quit. And even though she had a hard time, she was very proud of herself. Um, I'm glancing at my notes right now and it says dinner parentheses, 
beet soup frowny face. I remember that soup. It sucked. And I was like, God, I just want like real food. Because obviously when you're down there, you do your cleanse and then the type of food they serve. The food was amazing. It was all super fresh, super healthy. I mean, I wish that I could eat that every day, but the beet soup was boring. Okay. So for the next morning on our schedule, it says 7 a.m. tobacco purge. And this was day four. And this was going to be the first day that we drank ayahuasca. So I knew, okay, the fucking big day is here. I wrote, 6.48 a.m., I'm about to do the tobacco purge. I will throw up and I am nervous. I haven't really been looking at my phone, which has been great, and I'd like to continue, but I just checked the time and saw an alert that there was a bald eagle sighting on MLK Drive on MLK Day. That feels like a good sign. (laughs) Then I must have gone and done the purge, and I wrote, WOW, in all caps. So again, kind of like the family constellations, we just see this thing on the schedule and it's like, I don't know what this is. So uh, (laughs) we walk in and there are eight buckets and eight mats and several drums, giant drums of water. And I'm like, man, fuck. So here's the deal. All of us have these mucous membranes lining our stomachs, and those need to be removed prior to doing ayahuasca. And this is another reason. This isn't something that should be done casually and recreationally in the United States. Like, the preparation for doing this properly is super important. So this is a really important step. So what we had to do was drink a cup of tobacco juice and not the type that we snorted in the Temezcal, like a very concentrated tobacco juice. We were told to wait five minutes and then we each had to drink five liters of water and quickly. So they would fill up our pitchers that we had these liter sized pitchers in front of us. And each time we would drink, they would write a, draw a line in the sand of how many that we'd had. So you should drink five. Some people need less. Some people need more. After the third liter for me, I was so unbelievably uncomfortable and just like overflowing with water. I felt like a balloon. I had crazy stomach cramps. I mean, I, I was so uncomfortable. And then I started puking. And it was such a relief that I didn't even care that I'm in a room of people just barfing my guts out, but ooh, it had to be released. And then it was kind of like dominoes, you know, like once one person starts puking, then everyone starts going. One of the people had, he had, I think if I'm remembering correctly, he had never puked before and he had to drink seven liters of water, which is insane, but he purged. And again, uh, and the retreat leader, he was like, I know this was hard, but one benefit is you're going to be feeling like this really good, like, wow, 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 kind of like body high from the tobacco for the rest of the day. So we're like, all right. So for the rest of that day, we had nothing really scheduled. I got a massage. I did a lot of reading and journaling and just really got super clear on what my intention was going to be for that night's ayahuasca ceremony. And we all met with the shaman who was leading it and one of the ladies who was running the retreat to to share what our expectations and what our intentions were, to ask any questions we may have and just get prepared. And I felt this just overwhelming deep respect for what I was about to do. I was nervous, but I was excited. And I just had this like this is a chapter in your life. There's going to be before you've done ayahuasca and after you've done ayahuasca. And it was just so intense. So I put on a white dress that I had bought specifically for this. So before we started the ceremony, we did an offering to the four elements, earth, 
air, water, and fire. And then the four bodies, the emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. We use roses, honey, corn, tobacco, seeds, and fruits. And it felt very woo-woo, but also it was super beautiful and special. And it was just another example of uh, being mindful about our connection to earth and to our spirit and to our bodies in a way that it's just so easy to disconnect from in our, in our day-to-day lives. At 10 p.m., the ceremony started. My intention for this first ceremony was, and I quote, I want to remove anything blocking me from living out my highest purpose. Okay, so keep in mind the way I worded that. So they light a fire where it's absolutely beautiful. I brought a water and a rose quartz and a little blanket, and I set up my little mat right next to Amelie's. And we were nervous, but we were ready. And one by one, we each went up to the shaman and We bowed and we drank our first cup of ayahuasca. It is gross. It is thick, syrupy, dark brown, sludgy liquid. And uh, it didn't taste great, but that's obviously not why you're drinking it. So we all drank and then go back to your mat and then sit down and just be quiet. This is not unlike the San Pedro. This This is not an interactive medicine. You are on your own experience when you take ayahuasca. So they told us to stay upright for an hour and to just sit kind of crisscross applesauce or however you're comfortable as long as you're upright and basically let gravity take it through your digestive system. Within that first hour, people started to purge and that is absolutely part of taking ayahuasca. We all had our little buckets and I puked like crazy. It was like... 10 hours of unbelievably violent puking. I had a couple little moments where I felt like I was tripping and, you know, uh, there was, there was some cool stuff. There were these little moments where I could tell, I could certainly tell that I was in a different frame of mind, just on a different planet. But every time I felt like my mind was about to go somewhere colorful and cool, I was forced back to focus on my physical body so that I could puke. And I mean, I don't know, especially with my cleanse leading up to this, I do not know how it is physically possible for me to have produced the amount of vomit that I did. I mean, it was insane. And so I'm sitting here having a horrible time. And I look over at Amelie and she's like curled up in a little ball next to me with the most beautiful smile on her face, like humming and singing and just clearly on cloud nine. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um, And I'm looking around the room at everybody and everyone's just, everyone's in their own experience, but not the way I am. I was... uh, way more present than I thought I was going to be. You know, I expected that this was going to kick in and I would have this colorful, crazy, vivid, trippy experience. And maybe I would meet my higher self or my spirit guides, or I would have some being come down and share some important news with me. And that did not happen. I was just fucked up for hours and hours and hours. And I was sad. I was like crying and puking. And I remember at one point, and you're not supposed to drink water, but you're supposed to have it, you know, if you need it. I remember at one point I reached over and 
took a sip out of my water bottle and it tasted like it was pure sugar. Uh, And I was like, whoa. And I took another sip and again, it was super, super sweet. And it's just an example of how your neural pathways are firing so differently when you take a plant medicine like this. So that first night, I, I, I had a very rough time. I, I, I can't emphasize enough how rough of a time I had. And, you know, the next morning it started to wear off and uh, we did kind of a closing circle thing. And I, I was like, I don't really feel like sharing. And uh, I was really, I was just really upset and I just wanted to get back to my room. I couldn't, I couldn't get comfortable. It was just, it was horrible. And to have put that much intention an effort into my preparation for this and to have such a bad experience, I was devastated. So the next day we had our sharing circle and we're going around the room and everyone's like sharing these amazing experiences of like, wow, I like, I saw this like tiger and the tiger was leading me through this forest and it introduced me to my grandfather and I, I made amends with the trauma and da, 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 da. And like all of these, the things that you hear about where you're like, yeah, that sounds cool. And so it got to be my turn. And I was like, you know, I feel like you guys all went to this really cool party and nobody invited me. I was violently sick the entire time. I was really uncomfortable, really sad, really just unhappy. And I just, I, I'm trying to find a positive angle to this, but I'm just, I'm fucked up on this. I'm not happy. I'm really upset. I was like crying and I was just like, this is not, this is not what I expected. I, I don't know what I did wrong. And the lady that was running that sharing circle, she was like, well, do you mind sharing with everybody and reminding us what your intention was? And I said, yes, my intention was to remove anything standing in between me and my highest timeline. And she kind of paused and stared at me and I was like, oh no. (laughs) So I actually got exactly what I asked for. And they tell you to be very specific with your intentions when you're when you're choosing your intention to do ayahuasca. And uh, I, I accidentally got exactly what I asked for. And she was like, it's also important. She's like, ayahuasca gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want. So your intention is very important, but you can't choose necessarily how you get it. And so she's like, I, I would really reconsider the wording of your intention next time. But she was like, I can tell by looking at you, you look lighter. She was like, how do you feel now? Like, do you feel lighter? And I was like, you know what? I, I do. And not just physically because I'd barfed up my guts, but like I did feel this a lightness and a brightness after the fact. And I guess I just had a lot of physical blockages that I had been storing in my body. And night one was all about removing them. But it's, I mean, that is what I asked for and that is what I got. And so I was thankful to get that clarity in the sharing circle. I was still bummed because we only were going to do it twice, but I, you know, I, I really forced myself to reframe the way that I was looking at it and to just know that I got what I was supposed to get and that there is going to be a second time and uh, that I just have to trust the process. So the next night we did it again and I changed my intention. So this time my intention was, I trust you to show me what I need and I thank you for doing it gently. So being clear and asking for it to happen gently, I think was an important addition to my intention. And I had a much better experience. So I drank 
The first round, I don't know if I mentioned this. The first round, I drank two cups. The second round, and three is a lot. So like the like people who do this all the time can drink three cups, but three is a ton. Two is a lot. One is, you know, starter level. So there were some people on the nights that only had one cup. But a couple hours in, she would call that if anybody felt called to drink a second round, it was available. So the second night, I drank two rounds. I had my intention of showing me what I need and doing it gently. And uh, somewhere in between the first and second cup, they started a fire outside, which they had not done the first night before. And they were like, if anybody feels too hot, it's okay to go outside. But you want to, the space that you do ayahuasca in is very, very important that it's a safe and protected space. You need a shaman praying over this because you're blowing open your energy centers and you can let good and bad things in. So they, they went outside, they blessed a fire, and then they said that that was a place that we were allowed to go. So I had the first cup and I was, my only goal, I was like, don't puke, don't puke. I just wanted to make it that first hour without puking. And so I did. And I, I got nauseous and there were multiple moments where I was like, oh God, I think that I'm going to throw up. And, but I like kept it down and then I really started to have a better experience and I started to really have strong visuals and just it started going the right direction and I was like, fuck yeah. So once they opened up that fire outside, they also did a call for a second cup. And so I went up and she was like, are you feeling better this time? And I was like, I am. And she was like, are you ready for a second cup? And I said, yes. So she said, I'm going to give you some of my special, special blend, um, the type that only she was drinking. And I was like, fuck yeah. So it's like stronger and more intense. And I was like, I'm ready. Let's go. So she pours me a cup. We bow, I drink and I go back to my mat. I sat there for about 10 minutes and I felt just this voice was like, go sit outside by the fire. So I went outside by the fire. I was the only person out there. And oh, so I've mentioned we were, we were literally right on the coast. And so we had this beautiful breeze coming in from the ocean. And this is probably two or three in the morning at this time, this beautiful, cool breeze coming in off of the ocean and uh, this warm fire. And I sat down in this chair and I was just so connected with this fire. And then it started to sprinkle just the tiniest bit. And I mean, all of my senses were just firing at a hundred percent. And I just, I mentioned earlier that having a good breathing practice is important for this. And prior to our first ceremony, they were like, you're going to have hard moments. And it's super important that you stay connected to your breath and that you breathe through them and that you know that none of it's permanent and that the hard parts will pass by you. And then a nice part might be right behind it and just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. So I was sitting out there in this chair, breathing really strongly and just feeling so connected to the fire. And uh, this is crazy if I, I don't even know how to really like, I don't know how to share this part of it without it just sounding wild, but I started getting these downloads and I felt this like tingliness on the top of my head and I felt this energy coming down and it was really quick, but I would just get a little vignette of a scenario or a problem or a situation or something in my life. And I would get this little vignette of it that would pop in my head. And then I would get this second vignette that was like, this is the truth on that. And this is without any lenses or any bullshit, like here's what that was. And it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And so I was releasing 
all of this crazy shit. I mean, so many crazy memories and scenarios and things I hadn't even thought of that I'd obviously been holding on to for years popped up. And it, the only way I can describe it is it's like when you update your iPhone and your operating system just runs better. So it's like I was clearing my cache and I... I remember just my eyes welling up with tears and just like watching the fire kind of consume this energetic debris that I was releasing as this was flowing through my body. And I know this sounds crazy, especially if you've never taken a psychedelic, but it was unbelievably powerful and uh, the highlight of my entire experience. I mean, it was wild. And then after that, it kind of slowed down and I was like, okay, I could tell that that kind of phase of the experience had wrapped up. It was starting to rain a little bit more, but it just felt so good because your skin, like I felt really warm and hot, but the cool precipitation was amazing. And I just, I remember looking up at the trees and just the leaves were so fractal and amazing. And you can just see things with these fresh eyes that in your waking sober hours, you just, you can't connect with things like that. So I went back inside and I continued having a really nice experience. I remember laying down and putting my eye pillow on and I, I fell asleep at one point and then kind of woke up as everybody was kind of coming down and they were wrapping up the ceremony. So I wrote down here at four, I don't think I brought my journal in, but I guess I did. 4.28 AM, I wrote, everything I've been seeking is already inside of me. My power is in my intuition, my feelings, both emotionally and physically. Stop trying to, air quotes, see with your eyes. That isn't how you receive. There is no such thing as a mistake. You already have it all. Just observe and appreciate. I release the parts of me that no longer serve me. Uh, those are massive takeaways for me. I mean, that is what I wanted out of this experience. And I've always, like I've mentioned before, like I'm a very intuitive person, but I always want to like, I mean, people talk about spirit guides. I'm like, I want to see a spirit guide. And this is what let me know, like, that's not, you're not likely to, or not, maybe, I mean, who knows what the future holds. But at this point in my life, I just don't see things. I feel them and I know them. And that is my strength. And that is okay. I just turned the page and realized this more. I'm okay. Stop making problems where they don't exist. Be kind always. You never know what people are dealing with beneath the surface. You are so strong. I'm already in my highest and best timeline. My ancestors are so proud of me. You don't have to be afraid of connection anymore. Let people see all of you. After that, it was smooth sailing from there. We had a really nice relaxing day. We did a sound bath. Some of us walked into town and had ice creams. And then we all went out to dinner together at this amazing Indian restaurant. And you would not expect to have some of the best Indian food in, in your life in Olan, Ecuador. But oh my God, it was wonderful. And it was just so good to drink beer and eat spicy food and just be indulgent after 
three weeks of restriction. One of the participants had brought some hash with them. And so we smoked some hash joints, which, oh man, I was so thankful to have cannabis back in my life. And we all just chilled and hung out and like danced and sang. And we moved all of these outdoor couches together. And it was like being on the real world. Like it really, I mean, you're so bonded with these people after experiences like this. And it was such a just release. That last day I sat down and I wrote a lot of letters to people and I was just feeling so locked in and and free and clear. And it was just this huge reset and it was exactly what I needed. I mean, I, uh, it, it, it's interesting. One of my takeaways was like, you can't control the process, but you can be clear about the outcome that you want. And so I'm really thankful and appreciative that I stayed on course and trusted the process because I got everything that I wanted out of this and more. It just didn't come the way that I expected it to. And you know what they say about expectations. So that was, you know, just a a really amazing takeaway. I still see the benefits of this experience, maybe not every day, but there are moments where it's almost like I'm standing outside of myself and uh, I can see myself responding to situations differently than I would have before. And uh, there's kind of this calmness and this trust that I didn't have. I think prior to this experience, I did have, and I didn't, I wouldn't have, I would not have said that this was true prior, but I think I did have this scarcity mindset and there was a lot of fear and loneliness and just control issues that that were definitely fear and insecurity based that I've completely released. I have so much trust in life and the process and that there is something so much bigger than this earthly experience that is out there. And I have such an easier time tapping into that with my meditations now. And it really, really, really helped kind of just expand my relationship to myself, to my energetic body, to the world. I mean, these are lessons that I will take with me forever. And I I asked Amalie if she would send me a voice note about her experience. So I'm going to share that now. Oh my God. Okay, Eric. Of course, I would like to share something about our San Pedro. So for me, the San Pedro was something very special because it was so traditional. The way how Tati talked about her experiences of life and she was so grounded and so inspiring. And the way how we drank the San Pedro was so like we were a big family we were all going through the same things and it was after taking the first shot and then they closed the door i felt like very 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 scared because it was so dark and so hot inside and i was wondering what the hell am i gonna do the whole night because I knew that this was going to take like the six or seven hours, but because I was so scared, I realized that it's normal to be scared in life and that there's always lights that will be there at the end or something. I don't know how you say this in, in English in the correct way, but I know you will translate me or yeah, correct me if I say something wrong. But after the second round of like singing together and saying a lot of words, I I remind that we had to be grateful for the people, the men, the masculine people in our life, because San Pedro is a masculine, a masculine 
yeah, I don't know, how, uh, masculine, it's, it's, it's masculine substance, or <laughs> how do you say that? I feel very, very grateful for that night and for sharing everything with you guys together. And I also remember the thing where we had to do the offer to the San Pedro at the end and that we were standing in the kitchen, like laughing with each other, standing with, with meat and, and, and fruits in a kitchen very randomly. And it was all so funny and I, I felt so much light and so, so happy and, and joy was amazing for me the san pedro was amazing and i always said like ah, i can refer it to uh, mdma because it gives you so much love and joy and happiness and and yeah we had to laugh so much so it's not the same but for me at that night during that night it was kind of the same so i'm very grateful for sharing this together with you one thing that I'm very sure about is that we were so lucky to have such a nice group because the dynamic in our group was so beautiful because we were like with four women, four men. Uh, so everything was in balance. And that's what I also felt um, after the retreat. Like I felt in such a balance. And of course, it's not easy to keep that balance because it's not possible in your life to always be in balance. And also what I have to say about the ayahuasca was that it's not a it's not a joyful ride. So not like because lots of people think like, oh my God, I'm going to do ayahuasca and it will bring me so much joy or I will feel such a different person. It's not when you do this that you are immediately a new person but it gives you new insights uh, wherefore you can think of and uh, create more space for new things, for new opportunities, for new ideas and to let go of the past. But it's not a quick fix. Absolutely not, because you can have so much joy during your uh, ceremony or you can feel so awful. And for me personally, I felt both ways. So my first ceremony was a joyful ride and I was feeling like a baby. I was so happy and singing all the way. But the second ceremony, I felt awful. It was terrible. So I think that's also very important for yeah, the people who will listen to your podcast to know that ayahuasca is not a quick fix. It's uh, absolutely not what you think that you will get, that you will get it. Because if you already think about something and you think, oh my God, I will feel this way or that way, it will be not like this. So, and it's also totally different for everybody else, of course. But yeah, that's something that I learned because I always thought like, oh my God, I'm going to do a retreat and I will feel such a new person. But you are still the same person that you were before doing the ayahuasca, but you feel just a little bit new, a little bit refreshed, a little bit more in balance. But it's to keep these things and the things that you saw during your ceremonies if you repeat those things for yourself and if you give yourself more goals or uh, you you write down or do some journaling or whatever it may be for you, for yourself, because for everybody else, it's different. It's in that way you can, yeah, you can renew yourself. I don't know if that's clear, but that's something that came up in my mind after two or three months after the retreat because immediately after I felt a new person, but then you realize that it is not, life is not like this. But I think that's something that I really wanted to say.
big kiss and i hope everything's okay with you bye bye so that is the story of my ayahuasca retreat if you're thinking about doing it i think you should do your research like i said and you know never do anything that doesn't feel right for you but if the only thing holding you back is fear but you feel like it's something that's right i mean i think you should if you've made it this far, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my crazy ayahuasca adventure. As always, Clover Club listeners get 10% off at hawkinsandclover.com with promo code CLOVERCLUB, all caps. And you can follow us on Instagram at cloverclubpod. Uh, and yeah. I am so thankful that you listened to my story. And if you have any questions about ayahuasca, just shoot me a DM and I would love to chat about it. I, I could go on and on and on about this. But yeah, I will hear you next week. Thank you and bye.